Good morning and welcome. Today, Pastor Chris is going to continue in the series on the life of Abraham. And today we'll be looking at all of Genesis chapter 13. Uh, So buckle up. Um, If I know Pastor Chris, uh, he's going to need to go double time to be able to get all of that good information imparted to us. So please uh, turn to Genesis chapter 13. Um, If you don't have a Bible, please grab the Pew Bible from in front of you and Today's reading will be on page 11, so please follow along as I read. So Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with him, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen and Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. And between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. Take the left hand, or if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward, southward, and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk the, uh, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. There he built an altar to the Lord. Please bow your head as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that we can come into your house and worship and praise you. Lord, thank you for the wisdom of your word. We just thank you that um, you give us an invitation to participate in your story, like Abram. I just pray that you would help us to accept that invitation to participate in your story, like Abram, and just be with us as... Uh, or be with Pastor Chris as he is preaching your word. Give him wisdom. Give him clear speech. Lord, help us have open hearts and um, open ears as we hear your word, Lord. All us who pray in your son's name. Amen. 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 All right. Andy just gave me a challenge. Chapter 13, don't make dumb decisions or you'll regret it. You can go home. (laughs) 
But if you want to stay, I think there's a few more things the Lord wants to teach us. Thank you, Andy, for reading your word. And doesn't our praise team do an awesome job? I, I'm always like, yes, yes. I am always ready, like, oh, well, I'm ready to charge up there and preach after here, singing and worshiping with them. And then I have to, oh, yeah, read the scriptures. So here we go. Genesis 13. Let's dive right in. I hope you have your Bibles open. Genesis 13, verses 1 through 4, is really a pivot from last week's sermon about Abram's great failure to this week, Abram having greater faith. And so... 13, 1 through 4 teaches us, if you remember from last week, three things. Let's look at these, get this in mind as we move through the chapter. First of all, faith doesn't mean the absence of testing. As soon as Abram sets out by faith, he's tested last week. This week in chapter 13, he's tested it again. In fact, I look through all the rest of Abraham. Every chapter is a test. There's 14 different tests in his life, every chapter except one, and that's chapter 19 dedicated to Lot, who had a test as well that he failed. Failure doesn't mean the absence of grace. So you're going to be tested, but when you fail, it doesn't mean there's an absence of grace. We saw God deliver Abram last week, even though Abram didn't even repent yet. He hadn't even asked for help. He was so uh, spiritually dumb, he didn't even know he was in trouble, and God showed him grace. Third, forgiveness doesn't mean the absence of repentance. Even though God showed him forgiveness and love and protection before he even asked for it, Abram still needed to repent. And that's what we see in verses 1 through 4. Abram has returned to the land of promise in humble repentance. He returns to Bethel, which means the house of God. He reconciles with the Lord by worshiping at the altar he had previously built. He recommits to the priority of God's character and God's promises, for he calls out on the name of the Lord. He has come back in humble repentance. And it is for these reasons that Abram will pass the test that Andy just read for us in chapter 13. Now, chapter 13 can be summarized with three words. Conflict, choices, and consequences. That's the passage. That's how we're going to move through it. And let me give you the timeless principles that underline this chapter and make sense of it so you have it in mind before we move into the details. First principle is this. Conflict doesn't make character as much as it reveals it. Conflict doesn't make your character as much as reveals what's already there. Conflict is like squeezing a tube of toothpaste. When you put pressure on it, what's inside comes out. Second principle, choices reveal what's really in your heart. Choices reveal what's really in your heart. We're going to see two men, two hearts, based on two different kinds of choices. Third, Consequences often take a long time to reap what is sown. We're going to get and see those consequences. So, let's dive in. It's all about choosing by faith or by the flesh. The first thing that we see in this passage is the conflict that's in the land. That's verses 5 through 7. 
And the first thing we need to address and ask is what's up with Lot? What is Lot doing there? Lot should not be with Abram according to God's call. If you look back at Genesis 12.1, and I encourage you to do that in your Bibles, 12.1, you see, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives. Relatives. Lot is Abram's nephew. And from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And yet in, in Genesis 12 and verse 4, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. Now notice in what I just read, Lot followed Abram. Abram was wrong to bring him, but at the same time, Lot is a follower. He's a tag-along. He's hanging out with his uncle, and hanging with your uncle when it's Abram has its advantages. Look at again back at chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, and he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Then look at 13.5. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. The pattern throughout this is that he is a hanger-on, a tag-along that is following his uncle, because when you follow in his footsteps, God's blessing overflows and spills onto you. There was security with Abram. There was stability with Abram. But more than anything, there was success with Abram. Now, I found it interesting as I studied this passage for the last couple weeks that several who studied it claim that Lot did everything that Abram has been doing. The thing about reading other people's works is you got to check it against the Bible, including even my message today. And when you check the Bible, I would challenge you to say, we never see Lot building an altar to the Lord, and we never will. We never hear Lot calling on the name of the Lord, and we never will. We see him pitching tents and accumulating wealth, but not building altars. Beloved, let me warn you... Now, be careful this morning that you are not living off the spirituality and blessings of the others around you. Make sure that you know the Lord. Make sure that you are growing in the Lord. Make sure that your life shows the Lord and that you are going for the Lord and you're not simply taggling along, hanging on with others. It happens. It happens a lot, and it's a danger. And so this is what's going on with Lot. Now, why the conflict over the land? Why is there conflict? Well, the obvious one answer is that Lot's around and he shouldn't be. But let's, let's look at this. The land is scarce due to God's blessing and the presence of other people in the land. The reason there's conflict is land is scarce. The Lord has blessed Abram 
Not just because of Pharaoh. Don't get the idea that all his wealth is due to Pharaoh. He entered the land with wealth. We just read that, read that from Haran. But Pharaoh added to that wealth. But understand this. Pharaoh only gave him flocks and servants. But here in verse 2 of chapter 13, we read that Abram is very rich. Now that word, very rich is a cool word because in Hebrew it means heavy. We would say he was loaded. And he wasn't just loaded with flocks and servants. He was loaded with silver and gold. And Pharaoh had never given him silver and gold. The Lord has blessed him, sometimes directly, sometimes through Pharaoh. But Lot, the spiritual freeloader has also benefited from tagging along with Uncle Abram. And so we read in verse 6, look in your Bibles, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. The land is scarce. There's Canaanites. There's parasites, parasites, okay? They were parasites. They're in the land, and they've taken the best land first. Land is also scarce because both Abram and Lot have much wealth, and both are in the land. Therefore, in verse 7, their herdsmen are in conflict because the resources are limited. And so they're fighting over water. They're fighting over the best pasture land. They're fighting. But notice, Abram and Lot aren't the ones quarreling. It's their herdsmen. They are fighting over who gets the limited resources of their respective large flocks. But Lot, but Lot should never have been with Abram. If Abram had been alone in the land, like the Lord had commanded him, there would have been enough resources for Abram and his flocks. The Lord had blessed Abram by his grace and in keeping with his covenant with Abram. But Lot is being blessed by being with Abram. Now you say, wait a minute, Chris. I thought the Abrahamic covenant was Abram was to be a blessing to others. Maybe this is the right thing, that that Lot is simply being blessed through Abraham as God intended. But we know, we know that Lot's heart was not in it for God because of the choices he makes in this chapter. According to the New Testament, Lot is a believer. But that is not what Moses, the author of Genesis, wants us to focus on. If you read just Genesis and never heard 2 Peter, you would probably swear this man is lost. Okay? That's the focus. As one of the last Puritans, Alexander White, put it, Lot is scarcely a believer, while Abram is clearly a believer. You say, what's scarcely a believer? It's a believer, but he scarcely is one, and you would never tell it, by how he lives and how she makes choices in life. And what reveals the difference? What's the difference between a scarcely a believer and clearly a believer? The difference is seen in their choices. 
Conflict doesn't make character. It reveals our character, like squeezing a tube of toothpaste. So the scarcity of land is going to call for choices. And it's how each man makes his choice that reveals what's really in their heart. So let's look at the choices in the land. The choices in the land come to us in verses 8 through 13. Now, choices, the choices we make in times of conflict and trials and in times of testing reveals what's really, really in our hearts. Our choices reveal what's in our hearts. And the choices of these two men over the land is going to reveal what's in their heart, just like your choices and my choices reveal what's in our hearts when we make choices when the pressure's on. Abram is going to make his choice by faith. Lot is going to make his choice by the flesh. And these two ways of making choices is going to separate these two men as God had already intended. Their choices are going to separate them physically in the land. Their choices are going to separate them spiritually. If not eternally, it will separate them spiritually in life. And it will separate them relationally with their walk with the Lord. Our choices should be separating us. Listen, if you're able, if you're making choices just like the world, there's no separation between you and the world. If you make choices for the Lord, there will be a separation of you and your friends. There will be a separation there at work. There will be a separation in how you view politics, how you view all of life. It causes a separation. And that's what we're going to see. Let's first look at Abram's choice by faith because that's what we see first. Abram's faith frees him to let Lot choose first. This is the beauty. There's a lot of truth here that is not on the surface. You've got to dig for it in the Word of God. He is free to, by faith, to let Lot choose first. So let's look at verses 8 and 9. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Brothers. It is not the whole land before you? Please, what grace. Separate from me. If to the left, okay, I'll go to the right. If you want the right, that's fine too. I'll go to the left. Here's what I want you to deserve. Just a couple observations. This goes against custom and culture. Why? Because Abram is the older in the relationship. He's the younger. He's the elder. Elders go first in that culture, which is not bad for any culture, by the way, either. But he forgoes that. He goes against culture. But he also goes against what is natural. This is not how the flesh chooses to make decisions. How's the flesh choose? Just check your own heart. Me first. Me first. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Push into the front of the line. Always looking out for another number one. Me, myself, and I. This is against culture, and it's against what's natural. It's against the flesh. But Abram's faith in the Lord and his promises 
remember, we're studying the God of promise in the life of faith here, frees him to choose three things. First of all, he's free to choose unity over strife. Unity over strife. Let there be no strife, for we are brothers. And you know what's what's radical? Remember, hang on to that, we are brothers, because eventually when we get to chapter 19, you're going to find Lot looking at the sodomites of that town and saying, we are brothers. He was able to choose unity over strife. Number two, he was free to choose humility over pride. Is not the whole land before you? It's not like he spun Lot around to make him dizzy and pointed him in the direction of the worst land. No, he stepped back and said, look, the whole land is here. You get first dibs. Go for it. He chose humility over pride. Third, he chose generosity over greed. Man, nothing shows generosity like letting someone, when there's limited resources, letting someone pick first. And you know what Abram is saying on the left and the right stuff? What he's saying is, I'll take the leftovers. I will be satisfied with the leftovers. Why? Why? Why go against culture? Why go against what's natural? Is it because Abram is a better person? No, no, no. We just seen what a selfish rascal he was in chapter 12. He threw his own wife under the bus to save his own skin. And not only that, as our grow group pointed out, particularly the women, he's going to do it again in chapter 20. Interesting discussion. This is not because he's a better man than Lot is. No, we've seen this. Why would Abraham not lay claim to his own honor and his own right to choose first as the elder? Why would Abraham not be greedy and grasp for what is best, which is natural? Why would he not even exercise, listen, why would he not even be pious and exercise his right as the heir of the promise of the land? I mean, he could have legitimately said, God gave it to me. I get to go first. It's because God's people are to live by faith, not the flesh. That's how we make choices. That's how we view life. When I trust God's character as being just and merciful, when I trust God as Yahweh, the promise keeper, the ever-present redeemer, guess what? I'm set free. I can choose unity over strife. God will make it right. I can choose humility and not selfish pride because God stands up for me. I can choose generosity over greediness because God owns it all and he will give me what is mine. I learned this early on when I got saved here at this church. Three months after I got saved, I, I dedicated my life to the Lord, not knowing a clue what that meant, except that he had everything. And I didn't know what the future hold. I was about to graduate. And we, we took a survey trip. Uh, Jerry uh, Slayball very graciously drove me to Virginia and others with us. But I was your favorite, wasn't I, Jerry? And uh, 
Actually, well, I, we won't just go there. There's many stories we can tell. But we went there, and I walked that campus, and I knew that's where God wanted me to be. Knew that's where God wanted me. Came home, and I uh, shared the news with my dad. Dad, I, I, I want to go to Liberty. Is Liberty, like, up the street? What are you talking about? No, Liberty University. It's in Lynchburg, Virginia. And my dad lost it. I mean, he just lost it because, you know, he's going to be writing the checks. And he's like, what do you think going to a private Christian school out of state? You think I'm made of money? Or, you know, many dadisms that I would hear. And he'd say, I'm, uh, listen, you go there, I'm only paying for one year, and then you're on your own. And I just looked at Dad, and I said, Dad, it's okay. If God wants me there, he'll provide. And I went there my freshman year, and before Christmas break, I was on a missions team and had a full-ride scholarship the rest of my college life. Because when we make decisions by faith, God provides. doesn't mean you're always going to get what you want, but you're going to get what you need, and God can provide. We've seen, and listen, this liberation of faith to make choices is applies, man, in leading my wife and parenting my daughter, and you, you parent your kids for the rest of their lives as much as they allow. But faith in God and his promises are liberating because you can make decisions and you don't have to control them. You don't have to, you don't have to know the outcome. And you can learn to do this like Abram did. Well, we've seen how Abram's choice is by faith and it's freeing. Now let's contrast Lot's choice by the flesh. Lot's flesh causes him to choose what is fatal? What is fatal? I have been so burdened by this man's life this past few weeks because I know it's being played out even here today. Listen, look at verses 10 through 13. Lot lifted up his eyes, didn't protest, didn't say, no, Father Abraham, no, uncle, you go first. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. That is, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinners against the Lord. Man, there is a lot here, but we don't have time to unpack it all. But let me begin by saying the issue is not simply Lot choosing by sight, and Abram choosing by faith. You know why I say that? Because look at verse 14. The Lord is going to tell Abram to look up, lift up his eyes and look as well. Okay, so they're both looking. Now granted, Abram's doing it at the Lord's direction, but also there's a cultural clue here, and it's this. What's going on here is that back in Abram's day, you claimed ownership by what you saw. Now, here's how I relate it to what I can understand. 
Remember all those Westerns where we're claiming and, and pioneering the United States and they'd, ride, they'd all line up with their horses and the gun would go off and you'd drive your horse as fast as you could to stake your claim. And when you got to that little place where you could build a cabin by the river, you jumped off your horse and you put that stake in the ground. You staked your claim. That's how you claimed ownership. Well, in this culture, it's what you looked at. So when Lot looks and lifts up his eyes and sees the well-watered plain, he's declaring ownership. Okay, that's the idea. It's far more than choosing by sight. It's also, and more so, choosing by the flesh. So let me give you eight fatal choices of the flesh. They're all on the screen. You don't, have to, you don't have to fill in blanks. You can write them down if you want. But I'm saying in these verses that I just read to you, there is packed in there eight fleshly bases of his choice. And you and I are still tempted to do that today. First of all, what is sensual? He did look with his physical senses. And you know who also looked with her physical sentence, senses? Genesis 3, Eve. She saw the fruit that it was delightful and good to eat. Secondly, what is temporal? He chose the well-watered plain, but the way it's written, it says he chose it was well-watered, that is, before the Lord destroyed it. In other words, he chose the temporary, not knowing that in the future it was going to be destroyed by the Lord. That's just like the generation of Noah. Noah was saying, judgment's coming. They said, oh, that's future. Let's keep partying, getting married, eating, drinking. Let's just keep going. Temporal. Third, what is theoretical? This is subtle. What is theoretical? He chose it because it was well-watered like the Garden of Eden. Let's do some retrieval. Let's go for the theoretical. Let's build paradise on earth. Let's pursue the American dream. We can get it back. Folks, we're not trying to go back to the old creation. We're moving forward to the new creation. We're not trying to get back to Eden. We're pursuing something better than Eden. Fourth, he looks at what is carnal. Oh, it's well watered like the land of Egypt. You know that beautiful place of bondage? You know that beautiful place that we just were at with my uncle? See, hanging on, being a, a spiritual tag-along can take you to good places, but it can also take you to bad places. And that's where he picked up the Egypt. Well watered. And understand this. Understand this. Egypt was well watered because they irrigated with the Nile. Therefore, they didn't have to depend on God and His daily rains. Whereas in the land of Canaan, there was no irrigation. And the only way you were going to have a rich, fertile land in Canaan was if you lived according to God's covenant and He brought the rains. It's carnal. Fifth, it's egotistical. He chose for Himself. I mean, man, that just jumps out at you. And he didn't just choose some of it. He chose for himself what? All of it. Yeah, I mean, at least he could have said, well, that looks really good over there. Maybe, uncle, we can split it. No, no, he's egotistical. And he chose it like the first... Think of Lemek back in Genesis 4, the first man to take two wives. 
who took whatever he wanted, as much of it that he wanted. Number six, it's detrimental. Why do I say that? He journeyed journeyed east. Why is it bad to go east? East of Eden is where Cain was cursed and made to live. Going east in the Bible is of going into what is detrimental, what is destructive, what is cursed. Seven, what is technological? He settled in the cities. Instead of being a pitch, uh, instead of being a tent pitcher, okay, am I saying that right? Instead of doing that, He is wanting to go to the cities. Now, am I saying all technology is bad? No, but the Tower of Babel, they were using the latest technology to make a name for themselves. And the Lord said, if I don't go down there and disrupt this, anything's possible. Listen, just because it's technological and new doesn't mean it's moral. He's moving so that he doesn't have to depend on the Lord. He's living a life totally opposite of Abram, who is constantly journeying as a sojourner, as a pilgrim. And he goes, I want to settle and build a city and a name for myself on this earth. And then, eighthly, it's immoral. Who, oh, God help us to not to get as close as we can to the wickedness of this world and be comfortable with it, and to live near it, and to be drawn toward it. Now, Moses, I took the time to do this because Moses is pulling all these themes from the generation of Genesis 1 through 11 prior to the call of Abraham. He's making all these connections, and he's showing us that the arrogance of the fall, the curse of Cain, the the pride of Lamech and Nimrod, that evil generation before the flood, the self-exalting ego of the city builders and the tower builders and the kingdom builders. These are all what is motivating Lot's fleshly decision. And you know what's missing from how Lot chooses? What's missing? Sometimes in the Bible, what's as important as what's said is what's not said. There's nothing spiritual. There's nothing biblical. There's nothing theological. God and his promises are missing in Lot's paradigm of decision-making. So let me ask you this morning, is it missing from your decision-making process? Reading the reasons of why Lot chose what he did I'm telling you, it ought to be heartbreaking to us this morning. It ought to be soul-searching to us. It ought to be spirit-convicting to us. How are you making choices right now in your life? And then let me ask you this. How's it working for you? How's it working for you? Is how you make decisions about stewarding God's finances based on the flesh is how you make decisions about raising your kids and disciplining them based on the flesh, is how you make decisions about morality and ethics based on the flesh, is how you make decisions about your relationships, spouses. Are you enriching your marriage by faith or the flesh? Singles, are you choosing who you date and who you potentially will marry by faith or by the flesh? Widows, how are you choosing to fill your time 
Retired couples, how are you planning for retirement? By faith, by flesh. Folks, none of us get off the hook this morning. We're all decision makers. What is the basis of my decisions? What are the bases of yours? There's only two paths. Faith in God and his promises or the flesh of this world. Listen. I just turned 61, so I've got plenty of experience to look back on. I mean, I remember Pastor Tyrone talking about big old file cabinets of memories. Well, I've got those now too. And I look back and I see far too many times that I chose by the flesh and I regret every single one of them. But bless God like Abram, by the grace of God, And by persevering faith in God, I've chosen by faith too, and I keep doing it and determined to do it. And you know what? Those decisions by faith, I've never once regretted. Never once. Flesh, full of regret. Faith, we're going to see it's full of reward. So let's take a look at it. The consequences from the Lord. What are the consequences of these two ways of making choices. Remember, conflict doesn't make character, it reveals it. Choices, they reveal what's in your heart, but they also determine what you become. Consequences sometimes take a long time to reap what you sow. Let's look at Lot's fatal consequences. First of all, carnal compromise. Carnal compromise. The slow slide into Sodom. Now, we'll see this as we come to chapter 19 here in the future, but first, I just want you to see the verses are there. You can look them up on your own, but here's how it goes. First, he looked towards Sodom. Then, he moved his tents towards Sodom. Next thing you know, he's living in Sodom. Finally, Lot is a leading citizen among the Sodomites in Sodom. He's sitting at the gate, and yet, you know, the saddest of all, the last place we see Lot is he's fearfully huddling in a cave, having his two daughters insensuously drink, get him drunk and have sex with him. Secondly, costly consequences. The costly consequences. I want you to listen here to the legacy of a scarcely saved believer. It's a legacy of spiritual loss. Lot lost the ability to be discerning and make wise decisions. He never once repents like Abraham did. Lot lost the peace of a clear, pure conscience. The spiritual, the the sinful people, the very wicked, by the way, it says they're very wicked with the same word that Abram was loaded with riches. These people were loaded with wickedness. And they vexed his righteous soul, Peter says, but he didn't have a pure, clean conscience. Third, he lost any godly influence on those closest to him. When God's judgment was come and angels are going to be sent, He warns his son-in-laws, his daughters has now married the men of Sodom, and they laugh at him 
because they don't take his life seriously, because his choices are fleshly and foolish. Well, what's judgment? Ah, and they die. He loses his married daughters and their son-in-laws. He lost the will to do what's right in a crisis. Even when the angels come and say, it's time to flee, they had to drag him out of there because he didn't have the will to save himself and his family. They were drug out. He lost his entire family, including his wife and his two single daughters. His wife's heart was so planted firmly in Sodom, she looked back and the sulfur and the fire destroyed her. And her daughters were so filled with the values and the vices of Sodom that they got her, their father drunk and committed incense, incest with him in order to further their line. And out of that offspring came Israel's two of Israel's greatest enemies, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Lot, though, lost the greatest loss of all. He lost the greatest legacy you can ever leave your loved ones. And that is a clear testimony of a clearly saved believer. He has left the legacy of a scarcely saved believer. He is sh- his legacy is such that when you look at his life in Scripture, if it wasn't for Peter, you'd swear he was lost. And one of the tragedies of doing funerals, when you do a funeral of a clearly saved person, it's a worship celebration. And when you do a funeral of a scarcely saved believer, you're not sure what to say and how to say it. This is Lot's legacy. As one uh, scholar put it, the only message that comes to us from his foolish lips is don't live your life as I lived, mine. Don't throw yourself away as I threw myself away. But let's end on a positive note as the passage does. What about Abram's future consequences? What about Abram's future consequences? Yahweh's faithful choice. Everybody's making choices here, and often we think there's two choices, but actually there's a third choice, and it's God's gracious choice. Yahweh's faithful choice. I will fulfill my promises to you, Abram. Notice verse 14. Once Lot was gone, once the separation had been effected, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now you lift up your eyes. You look at what you are going to own. Look at the land that you will own with your eyes. Look and look at the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, westward. Turn all the way around, Abram. Look at it all. It's all going to be yours. And not only you, but your descendants are going to be as dust, as much dust as there are on this earth. And maybe there's a lot of dust on this earth. And it's going to be yours. And best of all, it's going to be yours with me present in your life. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this, is repeated in these verses. I will make your descendants. I will give you the land. Listen, remember Genesis 12, 
Remember the Abrahamic covenant. It's all throughout the rest of his life. It's all throughout the rest of the Bible. It's four great promises. Mainly, first of all, there's a land, God's place. Second, there's a people. There's a seed, God's people. Third, there's a blessing. And the blessing is God's presence. And fourthly, that goes not only to the Jews, but to the nations. You are part of the dust this morning if you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You get in on the blessing. God's people living with God's presence in God's place. That's the purpose of God. That's the story of the Bible. In one sense, Abram inherits nothing. In another sense, Abram has just inherited everything. Listen to the author of Hebrews. By faith, Abram, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he, which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Not the men of Sodom, not the men of Gomorrah, not like Lamech, not like Nimrod, a builder who is God, and therefore Yahweh's future reward. The the reward was as yet unseen. The future reward is this, persevere, persevere by faith in me until I do reward you. Look at verses 17 and 18. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth. It's yours, for I will give it to you. And then Abram moved his tent, and a better way of saying it, he kept moving his tent. He kept moving. He kept progressing by faith. He kept persevering until he came to Hebron and he built an altar there because the greatest reward of all your choices is the presence of God in your life. Just you got to persevere by faith until he brings it. So let me ask you this morning, how are you going to choose? It's now our time to choose. How are you going to choose today? Are you going to choose to be scarcely saved? Or worse, not saved at all? Or are you going to choose to be clearly saved? Listen to me. Listen to me. God will give you the grace to choose this morning. He will give you the grace, but you must... Listen, and he showed grace to everyone in this passage. Everyone in this passage got grace. Abram got grace after chapter 12. He got grace in chapter 13, and he's going to keep getting grace. Lot got grace. God sent angels to drag him out of Sodom before he... That's grace. His wife got grace. She was warned, don't look back. But she did. His daughters got grace. Yes, they spawned the Moabites and the Ammonites, but Ruth was a Moabite. And I said, Lord, I know there's got to be an Ammonite. There's got to be one. So I searched the scriptures this week, and I found Zelik one of the mighty men of David was an Ammonite. These two nations were horribly cursed if you read the Scriptures. But there's always grace. But you've got to choose by faith. God grants you the grace to choose, but you have to exercise that faith in Him. 
and choose today. So with your heads bowed and and hopefully with our hearts yielded to the Lord, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Don't leave this morning without repenting of your choice to reject Jesus. Turn from that rejection and receive His gracious salvation this morning. Maybe you are saved. Maybe you are a believer. Let's repent of our fleshly choices this morning. Let's repent. It's all there. Listen, all of that muck and mess is in my heart. It's in your heart. It was in Abraham's heart. It was in Lot's heart. But you can repent of it this morning. And God will grant you grace to choose wisely. Look to God's only begotten Son. Listen, He's the only one that chose perfectly and righteously every time. He's our sinless substitute. He's our perfect sacrifice. He's atoned for our fleshly foolishness. He has covered our regrets with His righteousness. Turn to Him this morning. Father God, May you reign over our lives this morning and every day from now on. You have promised to make a way through the temptation. You have promised to grant your grace when we make choices. Lord, may we trust in you with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding. May we acknowledge you in all our ways through this journey in this world. And Lord, let us not be wise in our own eyes, but let us fear you like Abram feared you. Lord, let no one leave here unsaved. Turn their hearts to you. Let no one leave here scarcely a believer. Turn their hearts to you. Father, we recognize your grace reigns, and we want it to reign in our lives, in our families, in our church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, Amen. Let us stand and sing to this God who reigns.